I remember the nurse getting frustrated and quite angry with me saying that I'm kind of like screaming and I'm crying and I, I shouldn't be in pain because my contractions aren't happening yet. She basically was getting frustrated at my distress. And then I had to kind of like hold my cries in and hold my pain in. Now I know in hindsight that Black women, unfortunately, we do have to silence ourselves. And that's why we are very reluctant to raise our concerns because when we do, we're told that we're exaggerating. We're told that we're being too loud and too passionate or too aggressive sometimes. I was called aggressive during my labor. Being told off when you're in excruciating pain, you feel extremely helpless. I looked at my husband to beg him to like advocate on my behalf and pour him. He tried his best, you know. That bond that I thought would happen immediately didn't happen because of just thinking, what happened? What did I just experience in the last 24 hours? Why did they treat me this way? Definitely, I think it had so much to do with my depression afterwards, like going through that traumatic birthing experience. Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to season two of Blue Mum Days, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. All the stories shared here are from the heart. These are real conversations and may be triggering, so please listen with discretion. Today's episode covers birth trauma. We will also signpost you to help in the show notes. Thank you. This episode was recorded during the spring of 2022. Today's guest is Sandra Igwe, maternal health advocate, TEDx speaker, and founder of the Motherhood Group. They are a social enterprise delivering workshops and large-scale events interacting with thousands of Black mothers. The Motherhood Group raises awareness of Black maternal issues, reduces the stigma of mental challenges within the community, provides peer-to-peer -peer support, free doula support, and free counselling. Sandra's work through the Motherhood Group has helped mothers tackle anxiety, postnatal depression, and stress. On top of that, the group delivers national campaigns, collaborating with decision makers to influence policy and pioneering Black Maternal Health Week, the UK's first ever awareness week, highlighting the disparities of Black women's maternal mental health outcomes and issues. Sandra is also a children's book author, inclusion consultant, content creator, and co-chair of the National Inquiry into Racial Injustice in Maternity Care. Through digital training workshops, she ensures Black mothers' voices are amplified, recognised, and accurately represented. And she is a mother of two. Oh my God. Wow, that's some bio, Sandra. How on earth do you do it all? Um, wow, when you read it out, it does sound extremely a lot, but I mainly just say I'm a mum with a voice and I use my voice to advocate for myself and other women just like me, in short. <laughs> and am I right in thinking you've got a new book just coming out as well? Yeah, so that bio is a little bit old because um, as of recent, we've got a new book, well, I've got a new book coming out called My Black Motherhood, Mental Health, Stigma, Racism and the System. And it will officially be out in June, but you can pre-order now. Um, and it's basically my experience of being pregnant, my labour experience, my postnatal experience and also perinatal mental health challenges that were undiagnosed. And of course, I have other mothers that share their experiences and their journey of motherhood as well. Oh, wow. That's just giving me the tingles just <laughs> thinking about that. So, yeah, that sounds like such an incredibly important book to have written. And uh, was it a good experience writing that for you? Um, I would say it's one or it was um, and has been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, so there were lots of tears as I was writing. Um, it's taken two years to finally complete it. It was very difficult, but it's funny how you can say the same story over and over again for, for five years, six years, but it still doesn't really change, you know, the emotions behind it. So it was very difficult, but very rewarding as well. And I would say almost therapeutic kind of having to um, you know go through the motions and understand in hindsight now what actually happened um, to me because I often say that sometimes in the moment it's difficult to actually process all of the thoughts and feelings and the situation at hand yeah. 
Uh, absolutely. And I think, yeah, it sounds like quite a cathartic experience, but not necessarily an easy one for, for all of those reasons. And it is so important we share our stories because these things aren't talked about enough. And, you know, the more we share our stories and our lived experience, the more we can help normalise the conversation around perinatal mental health and also help other mums and dads feel less alone. I'm a huge admirer of the work, all the work you've been doing in the motherhood group to amplify the black maternal experience in particular. So, yeah, what were you like as a person or how was life for you before you became a mum? <laughs> wow, that seems like such a distant memory. <laughs> um, but before I became a mum, actually, if I'm being quite honest with you, even though I always knew I would be a mum, I never actually imagined how I would become a mum, when I would become a mum. And it wasn't necessarily part of my um, you know, five, even 10 year strategy. So my kids were both beautiful surprises, both of them. Um, but before, before motherhood, I was um, living life in a way that satisfied my every need. I think it's okay to be selfish. And I could say that I was a, a selfish person in the sense that I put myself first all the time in every single way that I, I could. And um, that was for me, the biggest shock transitioning into motherhood is that my needs, my um, primary initial needs, of course, they are being met and they had to be met. But I had somebody else to put first, to put forward, to take care of. Somebody that was relying on my every single need that still does rely on my every single um, needs to eat, to sleep, kind of to sleep as well, um, to, to, you know, to, to just go on their day to day basis, on their day to day lives. They rely on their mother. So for me, that was a massive shock. But um how was I, I'm trying to think, how was I, it's really hard to articulate how I was before becoming a mum, because I do feel like part of me has, the old me has kind of come back, but part of me will never come back, because it's, you, you do go through changes as a mum, physically, emotionally, mentally, and some of that, you know, will be permanent changes, in my opinion, um, but I definitely lived life on the edge, I was definitely spontaneous, very outgoing, very sociable, adventurous, um, it was strange, I, I had no fears, prior to becoming a mum, I felt fearless, and now, I mean, I'm, I'm scared of most things <laughs> now, I'm anxious about lots of things, things that I did with ease, I travelled alone to crazy places for long periods of time by myself I would never do that now um so yeah life was definitely very different wow you know that thing of that change I mean a the transition as you say when suddenly literally within a minute you go from being an individual to somebody responsible for another's life which is a huge transition you know it's it's life-changing in so many ways but also that feeling about when you do become a parent and I think especially birth mothers where we're sort of hot-wired to respond to our baby's cry and also I don't know about you but I found any baby crying or any child's crying I am just literally it it sends shockwaves through me and you know gosh I even remember like walking through the park uh when I was breastfeeding and my boobs would just go off <laughs> I'd have like let down if I heard another baby cry which is something nobody ever tells you about but it's very very normal the other thing of course when you become a parent and, you know, this isn't just exclusively the, the birth mums, but for any parent, there seems to be a heightened sensitivity to everything, like emotionally. I certainly found when I had Stanley, it was a bit like the moment when Dorothy steps out into Oz and it goes from black and white into full Technicolor. And so the, the beautiful things in the world became much more beautiful, but the awful challenging things in the world and we're speaking now while the war is happening in Ukraine and it's just desperate situation out there my heart goes out to anybody affected but yeah all the horrible things in the world become extra awful so yeah I think your experience hugely resonates if we can sort of turn back the dial so you were saying you know both your daughters were beautiful surprises how did you feel when you found out you were pregnant with your first daughter? Wow. Um, 
I remember feeling quite nauseous, quite sick, um, and not really knowing where this sickness was coming from. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, I, I might be pregnant and I've never really had thoughts about, or like scares in the past to be fair. Um, and then I remember doing the test and shock. It was, <laughs> if I can articulate what I'm trying to say, it was absolutely the most overwhelming feeling of, can I do this? Am I actually, is this really real? To the point where I took more than one, maybe two or three, maybe even four pregnancy tests. It was quite a bit just to reconfirm my thoughts. And then I thought, but Sandra, you're not maternal. You can't really be a mum. Like, how are you going to do this? And then I remember speaking to my partner and he said, no, we're going to be fine. We'll be fine. Of course you'll be a good mum. And that was my fear was, would I be able to be a good mum if I am really and truly pregnant. Um, and that was my, my you know, initial fears. And then the moment that I kind of got over that hurdle of, will I be able to be a good mum? And actually, I can, I can do this. Then the emotions change from being very, very afraid, very scared to embracing it, embracing every single moment. I felt like people could tell I was pregnant, even though I had no bump whatsoever. I almost started walking as if I had already given birth. And um, somebody that I never met before said to me, oh my gosh, you remind me of a mum." And that comment, it's, it sticks to me till this day. And so I felt like, this was um, meant to happen. Another strange thing is that um, before I, maybe when I was about six months pregnant and I think we found out that we were gonna have a girl and we were looking at names as early on as possible. The name Zoe, I don't know how and why, really, really just resonated with me. Even though I had never planned to name any of my kids, my future kids Zoe, I had always thought of other different types of names. <laughs> But Zoe um, stuck out to me and I was like, I want us to go with Zoe. And my husband was a bit unsure. Um, and then the day she was born, she was born on the 3rd of March, 2016. And I remember when the nurse was like, wrote down the date and I thought, hold on, 030316, those, those numbers look familiar. And in the hospital bed, there happened to be a really tiny Bible on the table. Um, I am a Christian, but at the time I, I wasn't really like really strong in my faith but I definitely believed and then I flipped to John three sixteen, and Zoe's name was there everlasting life her name means everlasting life oh wow that's beautiful and at that moment I burst into tears because for me that was confirmation that this was meant to be and I think so many of us you know birthing people women mothers we try our best to plan everything to a T and if you're like me I'm, I'm a serial planner I've got a five-year strategy that I've got listed down and I need to hit those milestones so for me I say it's a beautiful surprise because it literally was a surprise but her birth changed the trajectory of my life like forever I can't say it was a smooth sailing journey it's been a roller coaster of a ride but every single moment and every single point of my pregnancy, my birthing experience and my motherhood journey, I feel like it's meant to be. Mm. And that's what kind of keeps me going and keeps me in awe of just being a, a mum. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It sounds like it's been an incredible awakening for you. But what were your fears then about not being a good mum? Was it because of how you put yourself first prior to becoming a mom or was it other concerns I think you know you have those friends who are always hanging around with um or babysitting their nieces and their nephews or just been just playing with babies I never saw myself doing that I never was it sounds really bad but I never you know volunteered to babysit I didn't have many babies around me you know people say they have you know butterflies whenever they see kids I just didn't have all of those feelings so I just felt like maybe I'm not maternal maybe I don't have a desire for children and I know that I'm you know I'm Nigerian so it's almost set in stone that as a Nigerian woman you have to somehow go on to have kids preferably more than one get married and you're supposed to have this type of career you know doctor lawyer or engineer and that's the only career you're allowed to have and so I knew yeah it's part of my plan to have kids one day but I didn't really have that yearn like a lot of my friends I would say did at the time so that was my fear is 
how am I going to switch on this maternal feeling that I never felt like I had at the time? And also, um, I guess some people always envision carrying babies. I never had that vision. I always had visions of um, my career aspirations, but not necessarily children at the time. Um, and that just shows you that anyone can be a good mom. You don't have to have the quote-unquote training. You don't have to be raised with the skills of what it's like to be a good mother. You don't have to have lots of babies around you. Anybody can can be a mother in their own special way. Absolutely, and beautifully put. And I think it's so important that we explore that thing that we as women sort of grow up with these expectations whether it's our own expectations or whether it's societal expectations of what being a good mother looks and feels like you know and it always seems to be this kind of like Laura Ashley dress wearing sort of you know babies on each hip everybody's experience of motherhood is different but are you comfortable talking about Zoe's birth because that was quite a traumatic experience for you wasn't it Yes, it was. Um, I will say that my pregnancy was absolutely fine um, in terms of like how I felt. I did have uh, moments where I kind of questioned um, my my midwife at the time because I didn't feel like she was particularly warm or welcoming or friendly towards me. And I did raise my concerns with my husband saying, you know, to him, she doesn't really say hi. She doesn't really look me in my eyes. She doesn't really address me by my name. And I noticed these tiny little um, differences in how she treated me. But I just took it with a pinch of salt um, and didn't think or put too much thought into it. It was only when I had my birthing experience where I was sent home a few times, um, which was fine initially. Um, and then the final time I said, I'm not going home. I would like to be seen. I would like you guys to check me out because I'm an incredible amount of pain. I just felt like they dismissed my concerns and my worries and I didn't believe that they were putting my interest um, as a priority. Why did they send you home? They, it's such a long time ago that I even forget the wording, but they literally said that I'm not dilated enough. Um, and that's basically their excuse, even though I was never checked. Bearing in mind this is my first child, my expectations are very, as you mentioned, expectations were very much so. I'm feeling contractions. If I come into the hospital, they'll check me first and then make their decisions up. But they didn't just send me home. So they didn't check you. So how could they tell you weren't dilated enough? Vicky, I don't, I, I have no idea. Um, I really want to swear badly. But <laughs> I'm not, I mean, what it's, the actual, my it, God. Yeah, it's horrible because when you think about it, in hindsight now, um, I know why they disregarded me. And I strongly believe that my race had a lot to do um, with my treatment, my, my mistreatment, my ill treatment, lack of adequate care. Um, and then I asked for pain relief. And I remember the nurse getting frustrated and quite angry with me saying that I'm kind of like screaming and I'm crying and I, I shouldn't be in pain because my contractions aren't happening yet she basically was getting frustrated at my distress and then I had to kind of like hold my cries in and hold my pain in and again that um does uh kind of show now I know in hindsight that Black women, unfortunately, we do have to silence ourselves. Um, and that's why we are very reluctant to raise our concerns because when we do, we're told that we're exaggerating. We're told that we're being too loud and too passionate or too aggressive sometimes. Um, I was called aggressive during my labor. Being told off um, when you're in excruciating pain, you feel extremely helpless. I looked at my husband to beg him to like advocate on my behalf and pour him. He tried his best, you know. That's why I would always say, if you are black, if you are Asian, if you are a mother of color, I would say get a doula, somebody that can speak and advocate for you on your behalf whilst you are in a vulnerable position. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, my birth trauma was, you know, very different circumstances. But again, that thing of being told I wasn't in labour when I was in labour and being, yeah, absolutely disregarded and not having that advocate to, you know, but again, you know, our partners, our birthing partners, if you're lucky enough to have a birthing partner, 
especially if it's the first time, of course they're in awe of the medical profession and because everybody assumes the medical profession know best and so don't want to make things difficult. But you're absolutely right. That feeling of invalidation, especially when you're so vulnerable and you are in incredible pain. We know the difference between a contraction and anything else. There's a big difference. You know, you cannot mistake it for anything else. So, oh my goodness, it sounds like the most horrific experience. So how did things progress then when you said this time, I'm not going home, I need to be seen? Yeah, I didn't know again that I was induced. Um, Only years later, I realised I had a membrane sweep, but I wasn't told. So again, um, under the notion that I wasn't given full um, choice over the options that I had, that I was (laughs) young-ish, but I was definitely inexperienced. And so again, relying on a healthcare professional, believing that they they will have your best interest at heart, they will give you the options, they will tell you exactly what they're doing. I didn't believe I had all of that. Um, Fast forward, and then I had the epidural after several hours of begging with my first daughter, bearing in mind with my second daughter, I didn't have any pain relief despite asking and begging for it for hours and being told that there was a queue and this queue never got to me um and with my second daughter why it's so distressing is because although it was you know almost two years apart almost the same thing happened so it couldn't have been a coincidence similar sent home ignored dismissed but with my second daughter I didn't get pain relief I gave birth without any pain relief and they didn't believe me. My daughter passed meconium stool on the way out because she was under a lot of stress as well. And I ended up just falling down to the floor and they pressed the buzzer and lots and lots of nurses came in. It was like a panic, it happened so quickly, so quickly. And both occasions um, I had to have third degree tear, um, which wasn't really pleasant. But all Mm. of these experiences, why I'm mentioning it is because definitely I think it had so much to do with my depression afterwards, like going through that traumatic birthing experience, especially with my first daughter when I had nothing to compare it to. Mm. Um, that bond that I thought would happen immediately didn't happen because of just thinking, what happened? What's actually going on? What did I just experience in the last 24 hours? Why did they treat me this way? It got so bad that I said to the nurse, are you treating me this way because I'm, I'm black? And that's what, exactly what I said, even though I had no idea around the stats surrounding um, ethnic minority mothers. I'm sure you know that we're now four times more likely to have complications um, and, and die. We're more likely to report that we're not being treated with kindness. We're more likely to also um, not get any pain relief so all of these stats that I'm now aware of I experienced all of that definitely didn't believe I was treated with any kindness or any empathy um just definitely didn't feel like I had much choice as well and then when I gave birth um it's it's a long story I do go in more detail in my book um and my the lack of trust that I definitely built up with healthcare professionals as a whole and the, the entire system from you know my labor experience to giving birth and to my treatment afterwards that made me um create a wall and I just didn't want to speak to anybody that I know worked within the NHS just because I just felt like if if this person can treat me in that way and this person can treat me in that way that they must all be like that and I know now in hindsight that's not necessarily true but the system is extremely flawed where it's not really giving adequate care to every every type of a mother or birthing person. And I have you to thank for alerting me to those stats because I had no idea. I mean, you know, I'm obviously talking from a position of, of privilege because I'm white. You know, I live in London. I come from a non-disadvantaged background, but I still felt it was very uncaring, no empathy. And I was absolutely shocked and distressed by the statistics that you talk about with black and ethnic minority mums. I can't believe it's not more known. And this is something that you are dedicating your life to talking about and making sure that the black maternal experience is amplified and that mums have somewhere to go to talk about their experiences. So I'm really looking forward to talking 
to you a little bit later on about the work that you're doing with the motherhood group and also you know all the work that you've been doing with the healthcare profession because you're very much involved with re-educating which I think is incredible you know such a positive thing out of such a negative experience but I'm very curious what your aftercare felt like when you came home with Zoe in terms of visiting midwives or health visitors what was that like for you it was um not very pleasant and the reason why it wasn't very pleasant because I did have an incident with the midwife that I did notice who wasn't very friendly and warm Um, I won't go into too much details now because it has been resolved but I did end up writing a letter of complaint to how she treated me and what she'd done subsequently after I gave birth as well which I would say had a massive impact on my mental health and my trust um, with healthcare professionals and I think if you are going to be a midwife, a healthcare professional, a health visitor and work in the public sector as a whole, you have to be prepared to look at your own preconceived notions for anybody that you're speaking or engaging with. And if your view is very negative to a particular type of person, you're not going to deliver fair, just, adequate care. You're just not going to, whether you understand it or believe it or not and that's what happened in my case and in so many other mothers cases I've heard similar very very similar stories of you know being racially profiled having stereotypes harmful stereotypes being pushed on them you know assuming that if you're walking you are a single or uneducated mother and therefore don't deserve quality care or quality treatment and all of this paints a very detrimental image of what healthcare professionals are when I know that they're not all like that and that's probably not they're not going into the profession trying to harm mothers or or patients but that's what happens over time and because of that there is I would say a massive gap between the community of birthing people mothers um, black mothers and healthcare services and just like you mentioned there is a lot of education that needs to be had that is currently going on to almost dismantle the institutional racism and also individual prejudice that I think everybody has whether it's covert or overt whether you you're aware of it or not but taking that into a setting where somebody is relying on you to keep them alive deliver their baby and make sure that they have safe um, aftercare is crucial I, I think yeah Absolutely. And um, yeah, I I had an incredible chat with Christina Brown of Motivational Mums Club. And she was saying very similar things in terms of like the boxes that black women are put into. And if you assert yourself in any way, you are seen as aggressive or confrontational. When you're vulnerable and you're asking for help, you know, giving birth to your baby. And, you know, it's scary whether you've done it before or not. It's a scary time. And to then have that added pressure and stereotyping and, as you say, racial profiling pushed onto you. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's something has to be done. And what would you say to any healthcare professionals who are listening now who want to better educate themselves or improve the service their end? What would you say to them? Um, 100% there needs to be a lot more training and education around supporting and engaging with all types of birthing people and mothers, parents. Um, There needs to be a conversation about do you actually know some of the awareness and beliefs around perinatal mental health, maternity services within the black community? Are you genuinely engaging on a day-to-day basis or at least frequently with this community outside of just delivering babies or you know Are you making sure that your language is culturally competent, that you're aware of some of the cultural barriers? Are you making sure that you are understanding the importance of diverse community groups, resources, platforms? Are you (laughs) trying to increase or be more proactive in discussing perinatal mental health? What does shame or stigma look like within the community, the impact of faith, the impact of religion? 
make all, all of the barriers that might prohibit a mother from accessing support? Does she have the right resources, the space, family structure? All of these questions, I would say, have not necessarily been addressed or been put as a priority when it comes to services or if you're a healthcare professional. That's what I think needs to be um, mandatory when you are taking up that role and if you are speaking and engaging with all types of, of birthing people and, and mothers. Yeah, very well said. And if we go back to sort of how you felt then when you were at home with Zoe, you were a first time mum, you'd been through a very, very traumatic birth where you didn't feel listened to in any way and your experience was totally invalidated. How did that manifest in terms of your declining mental health? Yeah, so at the time... I didn't realise it, but I, I withdrew from family and friends. Um, I stopped answering phone calls. I didn't like going out as much, so I stayed indoors. I didn't like to see the sunlight. Now my windows are open. I love sunlight, but at the time I shut the curtains. Um, I didn't put on the TV. I didn't want to look out at social media or media outlets. I didn't want to know the reality of what the world was doing because I just wanted to stay and remain in my bubble. And all of this now is just so bizarre because that's not my character. That's not my natural character, but I changed into this withdrawn, you know, person. And that's how it manifested initially. But at the time, it's like children are a blessing. Marriage is a blessing. Being a woman with a family, it's a blessing. So you're not able to speak up about some of the issues that you're going through or some of the worries and the concerns that you have. Your body's changing, your lifestyle is changing, your baby is relying on you 24 hours a day. Breastfeeding was difficult and so hard. My child, she loved breast milk, but she didn't like breastfeeding. So I had to exclusively pump. And that meant every hour on the timer, you'll just hear. Oh God, that's, that's so tough. And so I didn't get asleep no more than an hour at each time in the evening. I was on the pump ridiculously all throughout the day. That took a toll on my mental health. I Googled and checked exclusively breastfeeding. There was no resources at all. It was either breastfeeding or bottle feeding. Nothing that, you know, could represent mothers like me who their child didn't like, you know, breastfeeding only liked being bottle fed but only like the flavor of breast milk and that mm. was difficult in itself then not feeling good enough like oh, um, is my baby rejecting me because she doesn't want to actually physically breastfeed what am I doing wrong being anxious and I remember just feeling like people were judging me and that's why when the health visitor came my house was spotless everything was just down to a T perfect and I I felt like I had to do all of this to hide the fact that I felt like I was struggling internally and unfortunately, again, um, I think Chrissy mentioned this as well, but black mothers don't necessarily get the perinatal mental health support that they need and don't get the follow-up treatment. But not only because we are not seen as depressed, but also we don't really necessarily really like to speak about depression as well. So it's, it's both ways. Um, and why we aren't seen as depressed is because lots of us are high functioning. We're working really, really at high levels, doing great things, but deep down, we're just about floating on the water. And that's what I felt like I, I was doing um, at the time. So that's how it manifested itself physically and, and emotionally as well. And with your family background and your culture, if you did try and open up about how you were feeling, was that something that was encouraged? No, absolutely not. Um, it's it's quite common actually in African communities. Not all, I won't say every single family household, but it's quite common that mental health is almost like a privilege to speak about. Like, what do you have to be depressed about? You have a roof over your head, can pay your bills you have a caring and stable partner you have enough finance what are you complaining about it's almost like you've got so much that you're being quite ungrateful and that's why I was reluctant to speak out when I did try to it was no it's just it's just having a bad day you know just have some soup <laughs> have some chicken and you'll be fine and so are um, you just a bit tired a bit tired and once you realize, okay, nobody's necessarily taking this seriously. You then, you then choose to keep quiet and hide it. But what I did find solace in was 
in other mothers who were going through exactly what I was going through, you know, had a new child or, or was pregnant, was from Afro-Caribbean backgrounds who understood the cultural elements of the stigma and the shame surrounding perinatal mental health. Um, being British, but from England, so also understanding some of the cultural context here and how that meshed in with our, um, our family background. Also being Christian and knowing that as a Christian, you know, any struggles and challenges you have, pray, pray about it. But then how conflicting that is when you're actually physically struggling and the prayers aren't making you snap into, into place. And so it felt so um, overwhelmingly positive to finally be able to speak to other mothers like me because I didn't have lots of friends that had babies or kids at the time. So I felt like I was going through it alone. And it's comforting to know that your situation isn't a standalone event. Other people are going through it. And I guess I found my village or I found my, I created my village, my tribe. And that was my way of healing and going through the process without going to professional healthcare services, which I'm not proud of. But I think everyone needs to find a way of the best steps to getting the support that they need. It might be through your GP, it might be through family, friends, creating your own tribe, your village. It might be through reading, meditation. There's so many different avenues and also um, how they can all kind of come together as well, work together to provide adequate support. And I think that's another really important thing to say that everybody's experience is different and everybody's recovery is different. There is no right or wrong way of recovery. There's no right or wrong in terms of the support you need. It's whatever feels useful and helpful to you and one of the things that I found is quite a lot of mums have reached out to me since doing this podcast to say because they were never formally diagnosed with postnatal depression they feel they can't sort of claim it but they they really struggled and I'm like well if you had all these experiences and it was really really tough and you went to a dark place you know it doesn't matter that you weren't formally diagnosed yeah it's still an incredibly valid experience and I think absolutely what you were saying you know because I felt exactly the same I wanted to meet other mums who felt the way that I did and that was the whole purpose of starting this podcast was to try and reach you know especially parents isolated during covid anywhere in the UK or it's been fantastic now that we've been downloaded in 20 countries so I love the fact I've got wow that's amazing. yeah so I you know hello to all our international listeners because the important thing is to share these stories and I don't want anybody to feel isolated and alone yeah. in this illness and it is an illness and exactly as you said you can have all these wonderful things. You know, you had the baby that you dreamed of. You can have so many fortunate things going on in your life. But this depression is totally indiscriminate. And, you know, and the fact that people like Serena Williamson, Cardi B, Adele, all these incredible women who are talented look like they've got everything they could ever want, have money, fame, glamour, success, and they still hit rock bottom and lose sense of who they are you know it just goes to show and that's what the illness does it robs you of who you are inside but you have clearly been through that come out the other side and now you're using your energy and voice as a platform to lift up other mums around you and I think it would be lovely to now at this point start talking about the motherhood group and how you found that voice again yeah, um, I can definitely, I'm definitely proud of myself, if I can say that, about how I've used my pain, and my trauma and my story, and the dark elements of um, early parenthood as well, to advocate, I always say for myself, and for other women as well, other people, because um, unfortunately, there are so many people that have gone through what I've gone through, and they've not come out on the other side, or they're struggling to find their voice. But I found that connecting with other people and hearing their stories and sharing my story I started to exercise my voice I found my voice again not only did I found who I was before and um, becoming a mum but I found a new version of me a, a, a more courageous bolder person what I'm speaking about now and what I'm doing now, I could have never spoken on any platform let alone a group of people six years ago so 
that's been a massive milestone for me. It's even saying the word mental health. You would never catch me in a million years speaking about mental health or saying it or associating it with me at all. Um, and so that's how the motherhood group came about when I was longing and looking for safe spaces because I, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find safe, culturally competent spaces that understood some of the nuances of being a mother with different layers of being a mother from the UK, Nigerian heritage, um, you know, kind of young and just all of the different layers that not just being a mum, you can't clump us all together. And that was quite, yeah, quite refreshing to find my own tribe. And then we met up for the first time and so many mums came down with their buggies and their babies. And I just couldn't believe, you know, how many mothers were positively impacted from having this safe space. Some mothers came from Northampton all the way to London saying that they've never, ever seen anything or been to anything like this before. When is the next one? When is the next event? When is the next space? And so I saw there was um, a need. There was a need. So what was the first event that you put on then? Yes, it was in southwest London. It was having Clapham. And I said, mums, come down. We're going to have a meetup. There'll be lunch. We can speak about the highs, but we're going to speak about the lows too. People came down, lots of them, I'd say 70, 80 moms. With their oh my goodness, that's amazing. To the point where the venue manager was like, there's too many buggies here. And he couldn't <laughs> even move. The buggy was blocking the corridor and the steps. And mothers were crying there, not in a sense of sadness, but almost in a sense of like mm. feeling relieved. Um, talking therapy is such is so empowering you don't even realize that just even talking about a situation and listening and offering feedback and now I know that's called cool. that's called peer-to-peer support but at the time it was just called a meetup it was just called talking it was just yeah yeah sharing. and that was amazing and that was how I found my sense of strength back and the more that I kept putting on these events and these workshops and these classes and these groups for mums the more empowered I felt empowering other women. And so it was almost addictive for me because I found myself. So I was carrying my baby around and doing these talks and doing these events and she was just on my chest with the, you know, the the strapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wraps or the The baby beyonds. Yeah. With her little feet dangling whilst I was, you know, hosting these events. And it was looking back now, it's kind of crazy, but it it was so amazing. And so seeing their mums coming back bringing a friend and bringing more friends and it just grew kind of spiraled out um but that for me one word I would call is community that's what community looks like for the first time hearing other mums saying I have struggled or I am struggling with mental health issues with perinatal mental I'm feeling depressed and almost everyone saying I haven't told my GP I have not told my health visitor I won't go to services I knew at that point that this this place or this space that I've created through the motherhood group can act as a bridge if we invite healthcare professionals to our spaces or we can communicate some of our needs and our wants and our desires this can be the way that we can positively impact policies and changes and reform for maternity services because I knew that services wanted to know what can we do to improve outcomes for black mothers? But they just wasn't talking directly to us and they didn't have a way of reaching us. We had a Black Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week launched two years ago, but our theme last year was Black Mothers are not hard to reach because that's the one thing that- I Yeah, I remember saying that. And that's the thing. It's like, that's almost putting a barrier in place. And, you know, I just want to put a caveat that we're not beating maternal- health services in any way because they're absolutely beyond stretch and there are so many wonderful people doing wonderful things but this is about how can we make it better and how can we make every mum's experience a positive one and small things like words do huge amounts of damage so even just looking at the language that's used and bringing more compassion into a very stretched workplace it's about remembering that it may be business as usual in the maternity ward but for many of us it's you know a very frightening experience there are circumstances where I have heard you know wonderful experiences and what I always say is how can we 
implement good practice? What does good practice or good support or good care look like? And how can we roll this out to everybody so that every mom and every service provider can do the same thing? Is it changing the language and communication? Is it asking the right questions? Is it acknowledging their race, their faith? Is it being more caring, more empathetic? What does that actually look like? And how can we make sure that this is the standard? This is the standard for everybody. And so in terms of your recovery, it sounds like you were doing all this whilst you were still in recovery yourself. Mm. When was the turning point for you where you just thought, actually, I'm feeling better now? Because it's always very hard to pinpoint that moment, isn't it? Where you're like, I'm okay. I cannot pinpoint. This was the day and the time that everything changed around dramatically I'd say it was gradual it was gradual but I can fully say that I can speak about at least 98 percent maybe no actually a hundred percent because in my book I speak about a hundred percent of all the things and the areas that crippled me at the time of being pregnant as a new mom and even up until now as well and that for me is my turning point am I able to own my truth and speak about my truth am I able to not shy away of speaking about all the aspects the beautiful and the hard parts of motherhood of pregnancy of accessing or trying to access care if my answer is yes, then I know that that's, that's the best space I can possibly be in. Um, and for every mother, it might take a couple of months, some years, some struggle to reach that point. But for me, it's a never ending journey of constantly trying to increase my confidence and also reminding myself, speaking kind words to myself. Like I, I posted today that sometimes imposter syndrome rears its ugly head, you know, kind of like doubting yourself or, anxiety might creep in when you think can I do this am I actually good at this and it could be linked to parenthood motherhood but it could be linked to other areas of your life as well but I think speaking positively reminding yourself grounding yourself that's a way of taking control of your situation for the most part Mm. and again those words that we use for ourselves Mm. matter hugely as well and you know gosh it's easy for me like talking as if I've got it all right and I beat myself up on a daily basis (laughs) so it's one of those things that you know self-care and compassion is not easy to do and I think as mums we find it very hard to turn the focus on ourselves rather than our children but it is something that's so important and I just like to direct any listeners now to two episodes on self-compassion with Poonam Dufa of Yes Mate And she talks so well about just little things that we can do to make ourselves feel better and more confident about our parenting. And there is also a loving kindness meditation that, you know, gosh, if the word meditation (laughs) makes you feel sick and want to run away, all you have to do is just like listen to it. You don't need to meditate. You don't need to do anything. But if you listen to the words and the positive affirmations in terms of, I am good enough. I am not a failure. And about not letting a bad day or a bad morning or a bad incident throw you off your course. And that, you know, that is just a temporary thing and it will not be forever. I think it's really, really helpful in terms of people's recovery. How was your partner in all of this? Was he aware of how you were feeling? Did you open up to him or did that take some time as well? I opened up to him. Um, I think it's sometimes difficult for men, partners, (laughs) to fully comprehend or understand. I mean, they are going through changes as well, and I would not underestimate the changes that a man or a father or a dad might take as well. But, um, you know, just physically pushing out a child. It's a big deal. (laughs) It's It's a massive deal. Um, you know the physical changes my body actually changing certain things just not feeling right the emotional changes obviously he tried his best to support in a way that he could financially he was working really really hard and of course with the whole pumping thing if he could pump breast milk for me I'm sure he would but he couldn't so he could offer to hold the baby whilst you know I'm, I'm pumping but I think there's something beautiful about connecting with other mothers who are going through what you're going through and I think as simple as it is he just wasn't a mom but he understood he could 
um, sympathise, it maybe not necessarily empathise as much as he possibly could at the time, but he was very supportive and he still, he still is my, my backbone. But not all mothers are privy to having um, partners and that's also something that I was aware of at the time that, you know, my friends or pe people that I met who were single mothers who were going through what I was going through, but had an added layer of um, not having that additional in-house support. But then again, I also realised that support looked different to everybody. So some people had their mothers and their mother-in-law and their family members in their home and supporting them in that way. Whereas I had moved out from London, where I was living at the time, to the Midlands, where I didn't have that, you know, physical external support. So things balanced itself out, but it was it was difficult at the time but as they got older I wouldn't say it's easier it's changed um, they don't rely on breast milk anymore which is great <laughs> they can walk they can talk they can express what they want Zoe and Chloe so it makes it easier to give them what they're crying for and also they're a bit more independent they can go to the toilet by themselves and they're currently in school right now so you do find your rhythm you know there is no manual for motherhood there is no strict plan or guidance on how to be a wonderful mom or a wonderful parent you find your own groove you find your own pace and I feel like I finally found what works for me and my family which is great gosh everything you're saying is so golden it resonates with me so hugely and again it's about finding your own version of motherhood not somebody else's not something that you've googled not something that you've read in the manual it's what's right for you and your children and I, I remember being utterly overwhelmed and bewildered when people were saying to me when Stanley was first born about you know trust your instinct and I'm like I don't have an instinct I don't have an instinct and that would make me even more anxious and panic and and actually now looking back I realized I did have instincts you know when I was told to do controlled crying or something and that just felt so wrong to me not putting that down in any way you know everybody's beliefs and approach to parenting are totally different and that's fine that's okay but for me when my son was crying I had to respond I wanted to respond and everywhere I looked for advice it was all conflicting anyway and I think it is about sort of just realizing that actually my way is is okay it's good and sometimes it's better than good and what's lovely is as you see your child grow up as you're now experiencing with Zoe and Chloe that as they become their own individual people and you can interpret their needs so much easier than when they were babies because they can tell you directly. But you also get a sense of how your parenting style has influenced them. I'm curious to just talk for a moment about your faith. Did you find that a comfort? Did you question your faith when you were feeling so low? I will be honest and question. I think I did question it to a certain extent, you know, why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? But I would say for the most part, it was my source of comfort, my source of strength, and not just the um, beliefs around it, but also the community aspect. So I actually joined a church and that for me helped as well with the physical elements that I was craving at the time as a new mum, you know, finding a really good church that, we could kind of be a part of and that was like the community element but also some of the conversations around perinatal mental health or mental health as a whole and some of the beliefs from the church or from the bible I'd say some of it can feel sometimes conflicting you know one of the scriptures I hold dearly onto is be anxious for nothing but I'm like I do feel anxious <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And if you start feeling anxious about feeling anxious, then it becomes this whole cycle. Yeah. It's like, come on, like, you know, but um, I think just almost like reciting positive words and reciting the scriptures and reciting things that I know that would help me emotionally, mentally was a form of therapy. Some people might call it mindfulness. Others will say, you know, meditation, 
some would see as prayer, but all of it is kind of speaking to yourself and getting your mind to a place that even though you can't control the things physically around you, with your mind, you can kind of control what you allow yourself to ponder on, you know, mm. and that's what I think helped me get out of really, really challenging emotional times as a new mum. Yeah, I think it's so important to say, you know, whatever gets you through, it doesn't matter what it is, just finding a moment of joy in every day, whether it's a beautiful flower, whether it's a smile, a patch of sunlight, just anything to try and lift you and just something to cling on to when you're in the depths of what you're going through. So, you know, if you could speak to somebody at home that is listening to this, who perhaps because of cultural differences or fear of speaking out, of being stereotyped or judged, what would you say to them if they're struggling and know deep down that they need some help? Yeah, I would say give yourself grace, the space and the time to find your voice. As I mentioned earlier, some you know take years before they get to that stage where they have found their voice. Others, weeks, months, but give yourself that space to find your like don't rush it everyone wants to snap back after giving birth you know physically snap back body wise mentally snap back but it's not always the case and I think as parents we kind of put so much pressure on ourselves to get back to what we were prior motherhood and this is why when you ask me what was Sandra like before motherhood I really struggled to answer that question because it's almost a, a distant memory but the moment you give birth yes Baby is going through changes, but we've also given birth to a new version of ourselves as well. And I think we should and can embrace that. I think one of the reasons why a lot of us struggle with our mental health is because we're trying so hard to go back to who and what we used to be, but we're not really embracing all of the changes. And some of these changes will be better for us, or not better, but I'd say new, new let's take on these changes wholeheartedly so I'm trying to say is don't be afraid to speak out but don't give yourself too much pressure to snap back to how you used to be find your tribe find your village create that and it doesn't have to necessarily be just and only your immediate family or your immediate friends expand look and check outside of the box you know go out meet people some mothers feel anxious about meeting new people you don't have to do it physically you can do it online as well um twitter is amazing i I met a girl just liked her picture on twitter when i was a new mom and we then dm'd each other and we found out our babies were like a few weeks apart and that's how we connected and she lived all the way in liverpool and i lived in um the time the midlands but we spoke and just having that conversation brought me so much joy and relief as well and then i'd also say healthcare professionals are doing a lot of work i know i'm i'm right in those meetings and I can see that they are making efforts to make changes you know structural changes so that they can address so many health inequalities that black women are subjected to but we also have a job as black mothers to raise our concerns and to not take no for an answer and also to get a second opinion as well and I don't think the burden should be and solely be on us but if we can do it or we can get somebody to do it on our behalf let's do that I think it's worse staying silent than speaking up even if you're getting it wrong doesn't matter it's better to speak up and speak out and then I'd say embrace every moment as we said earlier on there is no manual there is no guidance so you might get it wrong you try it again you try something else and there is no perfect mother as much as social media likes to push and put out there that this is the you know, the guideline of how to be a wonderful social media, snazzy, sassy mum, there is no such thing. And some people are choosing to not let that side of their journey out on display and others are choosing to. So don't compare yourself because comparison is always going to be the thief of joy. So don't watch what others are doing, focus on your own journey and enjoy the little moments as much as you can, as we just said. Yeah, yeah, beautifully put. And you also offer some free support through the motherhood group. So how do people get hold of you or get access to that support? 
Yeah, so the motherhood group offers free doula support. If you have a child under the age of one or you're pregnant, you can access free doula support. You just go on our website, themotherhoodgroup.com, and just fill in the short form. We can process that and just ask you a few questions. Likewise, with the counselling 12-week therapeutic approach using professional counsellors can offer counselling support again if you have a baby or a child under the age of one then it'll be free and if you're pregnant as well I always say that don't wait until the plane crashes if anything you could just do it as a preventative measure if you just start to notice that maybe you are withdrawing just slightly or you are feeling anxious you know Early intervention is really really helpful you know if you can nip things in the bud before yeah. they get too too severe brilliant Exactly. So that's the same website as well, motherhoodgroup.com. And then peer support, we often do mini events. So we have an event called Moms Connect. So we're speaking about parenting, gaining your confidence back. And I'm tired of that narrative only being pushed out that motherhood. Oh, my goodness, your life is over the end. No, there are so many great parts and aspects of motherhood. And we're trying to use that to empower and celebrate each other. So we're going to have Take Moms to the Theatre. And we have a few other events throughout the year as well. So just subscribe to our newsletter so that you'll be aware of it. Same website. Amazing. Well, you're such an inspiring lady. And just very final question. Do you feel in some ways that you've grown or benefited from the dark experience you went through? Yes, absolutely. I know that I wouldn't be where I am and who I am today without those experiences. And whatever doesn't kill you, I hate to use that term, but um, can make you wiser. I don't want to say stronger because I, I always stay away from trying to be strong I don't want to be strong but I can make you wiser you can learn from those experiences you can grow and you can also help others and those around you what I now know I make sure I speak about it to those around me those who are planning on having kids those who are new parents telling my daughters now if you are feeling anxious sad low let mommy know it's okay to express yourself and it's okay to get support just drilling that into them from as young as possible so they don't have to go through what I went through or what other mothers are currently going through now as well yeah yeah and that's the common thread through all of my interviews is that feeling that actually you know when we all at times beat ourselves up for not being good enough parents or for feeling like a failure because we had struggles with our mental health actually in many ways it's making us better parents because we are able to talk to our children about emotions and encourage them to regulate those emotions and to open up it's okay not to be okay so um thank you so much for your time this morning it's been an absolute joy chatting to you thank you vicky if you've enjoyed this episode of blue mum days please like and subscribe it really does make the difference in helping other people find it and that means helping more parents. Thank you.